stuck with me here this morning and uh hey after a late night last night who knows what i'm gonna be able to say here um stayed up watched the super bowl uh it it did not disappoint i mean it it came down to overtime and it was it could have gone either way Uh, and but for a missed extra point uh in the regular uh, game uh, San Francisco would have won. Uh, that, that's really what it came down to. It came down to the uh, the uh, extra point kick uh, was blocked. The kicker apparently didn't have quite enough oomph in it to get it up higher, and it was blocked. Uh, and that one point uh, made the difference between overtime or not overtime, uh, and the Chiefs have won. So uh, anyway, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl last night at all or not, but uh, it was, it, it was, I mean, it was a good game in the sense that you had two really, really good teams and, and two really great coaches. And, 
And what was it going to come down to? You didn't tune in to talk about Super Bowl, though. You talked tune in to talk about something far, far better than the Super Bowl or or uh, Trevay or whatever they call it, Travis and Taylor. And you know, you, uh, you turn tuned in to talk about the scriptures and to listen to the scriptures. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to scriptures here uh, this morning and. Uh, uh, looking at Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan is where we pick up uh, in our study. So we're going to jump into it there. I'm going to give a shout out to Steve and Donna, uh, faithful, faithful, faithful people, such some of the most faithful people I know. And I just want to give a shout out to Steve and Donna this morning. And I didn't get that in the in the typed comments, because uh, I was responding back to Don, and then it was time for the broadcast to begin. So shout out to Steve and Don. I love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Just want you to know that. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, when it says an law expert, I mean, you could say lawyer, uh, and that could be accurate, because in those days in Israel, God's law was the law. That's, I mean, they, they didn't have separate law of, okay, here's, here are your religious laws and here are your moral laws. Uh, they were all one and the same. They, they, but they were, there were ceremonial aspects of the law, but then there were civil aspects of the law. And, uh, so an expert in the law would be one expert in the, in the Talmud, one expert in the, in the scriptures. And so this one expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And it was a test. He wanted to see what Jesus was going to say uh, about this. And so he stood up and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, friends, that, that is a great question today, even. I mean, that, that's a great question for us to use evangelistically with other people. What, what must a person do to gain eternal life? Can you tell me? I, I want to know what must a person do to inherit eternal life? And we would be prepared to hear all kinds of different answers. Uh, well, you, you be a good person. You go to church. Um, you do good things for people. Um, you forgive people. And if you do those things, you go to heaven. Bah, wrong answer. Uh, but yet on the other side of the equation, sometimes our Christian answer which is a theologically correct answer uh, in terms of, a, of its orthodoxy uh, is less than stellar in terms of its orthopraxy. Now, orthodoxy is right doctrine, right teaching. Orthopractice is right practices. So our answer would be, well, you only inherit eternal life by a legitimate saving faith in Jesus Christ. That is the correct theological answer. However, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't just come out with, with the quick answer. That's what we do in our day. We come out with a quick answer. Instead of taking uh, an opportunity to do some probing, instead of taking an opportunity to, to do some uh, manipulating of, of words to, to cause thought and to cause pause, we just go right to the answer. And friends, sometimes we lose opportunity by going right directly to the the correct, what we've been taught, 
the, the rote answer, which is the correct answer about faith in Jesus Christ, uh, there are opportunities that, that could be in front of us to to go down some other rabbit holes to to uh, press into people's thinking and to press into people's hearts in such a way that would cause them to think about you know what I, I need to t- take a different step to inherit eternal life. So he says, this is how Jesus approaches it. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus, knowing that he is a lawyer or one who is an expert in the law, takes him back to the scriptures and says to him, what's written in the law? Now, the answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So we'll just stop there. I mean, the question is given to Jesus. Jesus refers him back to the law. The man gives the correct answer. Because really, I mean, uh, we can say place faith in Jesus. Well, I just want fire insurance. I mean, that that might not be the words that anybody would ever say, but that might be the the thoughts kind of behind the practice of, well, I just, I'll pray the prayer and I'll be good for heaven someday. No, uh, it's more than that. Uh, a saving faith goes far beyond praying a prayer. A saving faith uh, goes into obedience uh, to to the law of God. And what is it, the law of God? The highest law of God, the first, the greatest commandments, first and second commandment, love the Lord your God, as it says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the beginning point of that is acknowledgement of Christ, is trust in Christ, is looking to Christ. That That is the beginning point to love the Lord your God in, in this type of a way. And then it says, love your neighbor uh, as yourself. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So it isn't just love for God. Because there are some people who say, well, I love God, but boy, there are curmudgeons. They are uh, short, difficult, indifferent toward the people around them. And the fact is, if we have a saving faith that is poured into our hearts, the love of God, we're going to love God and we're going to love people. So I, I, I titled this. What did I title this? Uh, faith faith that knows when to work and when to sit. Uh, I mean, faith without works is dead. And I listened to Eric Metaxas yesterday on le- uh, uh, Letter to the American Church. And uh, the church does need to wake up. Uh, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with his take on all of it, but it is a great book, and it is a call for the church to wake up. We do need to wake up. But I think we need to wake up on our faith in the Lord Jesus as the first step. Uh, And then I think we need to wake up in our love toward people as the second step. And then I think we need to wake up in in standing up to to, uh, governmental overreach and and all those things as a third step. Uh, Eric Metaxas, Letter to the American Church, book you can read. Um, Got that book. I was listening to podcast. Had five hours of driving yesterday for my work in a church in southern Maine. 
So I, I did a lot of listening yesterday, some praying on the way down and some listening on the way back. Um, but to love the Lord your God, we, we are called to love the Lord our God, as it says right here. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You have uh, do this and you will live. The starting point, faith in Jesus Christ. But then that faith needs to lead us into a place where we will love God. How are you doing at loving God? How is your uh, love of God omometer? I mean, if, if you had a, a little little dial on the dashboard of your life and it was looking at, it was pointing out, you know, how you have the dashboard in your car, it talks about, you know, your, your gas, it talks about maybe, depending on your uh, dashboard, it might have a little thermometer, it might has a speedometer, uh, has different things, different lights, different things that light up, tell you different things. Yeah, it, it might even have an, o, not an odometer, a... Uh, RPM. I, I can't think of what that is called right now, but it shows you your, your RPMs in your engine. Um, it's not an RPM odometer. I know that, but uh, um, the dashboard of your life in terms of love for God, what does that read? How does that look in your life? How is your love for God? Then a second little uh, indicator on the dashboard of your life would be your love for people. You know, there, there are love for people who are easy to love. All of you who are my regular listening audience, you're easy to love. But what about people who are more difficult, more challenging to love? It's RPMs is revolution per minute, but what's that gauge called? That's the question I'm trying to think of, and you're the car expert. Uh, I don't know what that gauge, I can't think of the name of that gauge. Water will figure it out and let me know. Um, but as revolutions per minute, Little gauge it shows RPMs, uh, but but the gauges of our life, gauge of love for God, uh, gauge of love for people. I mean, those are two things we can look at uh, every day. Stop and look. Hmm. I mean, it's like not looking at your gas tank and you run out of gas. You know, how do we fill up our love for God? We fill up our love for God by worship. We fill up our love for God uh, by by the Word. We fill up our love for God. By, by various actions, by giving thanks, we fill up our love for God in, in fellowship. Uh, we fill up our, our love for God in contemplation. Tachometer, that is the word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don Rigby, thank you. That's the word. Um, tachometer, you know, we, we talk about tachycardia with the heart tachometer kind of showing the revolutions per minute of the heart uh, spiritually. Uh, but what if we had those gauges in our lives? We're measuring the, the love of God. How full is our love for God? How full is our love for people? But then Jesus says to him in verse 29, uh, the, the guy says to Jesus, actually, in verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, and he says, who is my neighbor? Aha, uh-huh. you tell me these great words, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus has a phenomenal response. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A religious priest 
happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here you have these religious types of people. Uh, one passing by on the other side, well, well away. The second one, same thing, well away. But a Samaritan, one who is regarded as less than by the Jews, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Why wine, you ask? Why would he pour wine? Well, it's like, you know, you pour it's alcohol. Uh, like you would put on a wound, rubbing alcohol, you'd put on a wound. So it's alcohol put on the wound. Uh, when then he, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan, I mean, it, it really does talk about what it means to be a good neighbor. Uh, and like a good neighbor, the Samaritans are there. You know, ask Jake from Samaria. Jacob from Samaria, instead of Jake from State Farm, Jacob from Samaria, ask Jacob from Samaria, you know, who's, who's, who do you want? You want the one who's going to stop and give you, what if you were the one who had been robbed? What if you were the one left beaten and battered and bloodied along the side of the road? You would want someone, anyone to stop and care for you. You wouldn't care if they were a Levite. You wouldn't care if, uh, If he were a priest, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't care if it was Samaritan. You wouldn't care. Just somebody help me. I'm, I'm here. I'm dying here. Help me. And this Samaritan took pity on him. And uh, Jesus said, this is what you need to do. That That's what it means to be a good neighbor. Being a good neighbor isn't just doing good to those who are around you, but doing good to anybody who happens to cross your path. Now, I'm going to put this in the uh, message paraphrase because often... Uh, Peterson picks up on some uh, insights through his paraphrase. It says, just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. Now, meaning he was going from Jerusalem, he was Jewish because uh, Jews were from Jerusalem. Most likely Jewish anyway. Uh, On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, went off, leaving him half dead. Same thing as we read in the... NIV, luckily, 
a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. And it says, then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. They didn't want to taint themselves. A Samaritan traveling the road came on, uh, came upon him. He said, uh, when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He first gave him aid, disinfecting and bandaging the wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on my way back. Likely an inn that maybe he had stopped at before. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? Well, the one who treated him Kindly, the religion scholar responded, Jesus said, go and do the same. We are called to go and do the same. That is the call upon our life, to go and do the same, to go and care for someone. And, I mean, what keeps us from caring for others? What keeps us from being the Good Samaritan? What keeps us from being the Good Samaritan? Uh, it isn't necessarily that we're trying to keep ourselves ceremonial clean as the priest and the Levite would have done. They didn't want to touch the bloody man because it would make them ceremonially unclean. They were more worried about ceremony and ceremonialism than they were about compassion. And see, we need to be concerned about compassion. That is a lesson that we find here. For us in our day, it's sometimes we're too busy. You know, I've got things to do. I've got places to go. I, I have responsibilities. I, I can't take the time to stop and help you. And sometimes it's true. I mean, sometimes you'll see someone along the road. We, we live in the day of cell phones. And, and you know, if, if I'm able, often I will stop. Now, if it were a serious situation, I would likely stop my car and, and see what I can do. Or if it's someone stranded along the side of the road and it's evident maybe they don't have a cell phone, I'll pull over. Sometimes I'll pull over and go, well, I've, I've already called AAA. Great, super. As long as you're taken care of, that's good. But sometimes it's the busyness. Uh, sometimes it might be the type of people that we don't want to get dirty by uh, by touching our lives with theirs. So I entitled the first part here, Faith That Knows When to Work. Our faith has to take action. Our faith can't just be about our religion. Our faith can't just be about going to church. Our faith can't just be about having our devotions. Faith must take action. Faith without works is dead. That was the argument of of James, the brother of Jesus, in the book of James. And uh, we need to know when our faith must take action. And this is this is an instance. There is a need. So our faith takes action. And uh, that's what we do. And the second part of this title this morning, Faith That Knows When to Work and When to Sit. We need to know when to sit. This, the, the last part of Luke chapter 10 says, As they continued on their travel, in fact, let me put this back in the NIV. Uh, I guess I could have left it in where it was. NIV says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home. Uh, She had a sister named or called Mary who sat at uh, at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You can just hear this. You can just see this. Here's this woman uh, flying about the house. Uh, she is making the bread and she is, you know, stoking the fire. And that day, I mean, they, they didn't have uh, microwaves. They didn't have uh, ranges like we have. If they're going to cook anything, it was going to be over an open source fire. So she's making the fire. She's, you know, bringing in the water. They didn't have, uh, you know, running wells like what we have today with the tap at the sink. I mean, she'd have to go out and get the get the jar of water that had been carried in from somewhere and and so she's making dinner, she's adding the seasoning, she's cutting up the vegetables, she's, you know, she's picked up the house, she's put away the laundry, she's like, because Jesus is here and all these people are here, I got to make sure the house looks good. And, and I know people who are like that. I mean, they, they get so put out by, oh, I got to make sure my house is perfect, no dust, nothing out of place anywhere. Friends, that's craziness. I'm sorry if, if you're one of those, I, I'm sorry. But I'm telling you, uh, you know, you need to ask the Lord to help you know when to sit down and, and pay attention to the person who's just come in your door. Uh, or you need to know how to let those things go so you can be more with Jesus. And, and But this is exactly what is happening. Jesus has showed up, Mar- Martha and Mary. These are the sisters of Lazarus. And uh, I think they lived in Bethany, if memory serves me correctly. Uh they sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha was distracted by all the fresh preparations that had to be made and said, don't you care that my sister, and this can be us, Lord, don't you see how busy I am for you? Don't you see how busy I'm working? Yeah, everybody else is just kind of sitting here listening to you. Uh, and sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves put out with, with other Christians but sometimes they've chosen the better thing. Sometimes they've chosen to worship God. Sometimes they've chosen to uh, listen to teaching. Sometimes they've chosen a rest for their soul. Uh, sometimes they've chosen to get their soul aligned rather than just keep up with the busyness of it all. All those things, these things are all a part of of it and for us to to be thinking about what we need to do and what our response ought to be and sometimes we need to know how to just to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus. I, I will read this in the in the paraphrase of the message. I should have just left it there when we had it there a moment ago. I'll read it. As they continued to travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary. Now, Mary is likely Mary Magdalene, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting, Master, don't you care that my sister is a pen in the the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. Master said, Martha, dear, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. She has chosen the better thing. And what is the better thing? The better thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think especially in American culture, if you are engaged in corporate culture at all, that's us. 
Uh, our, our schedules are more full. We put more things in our lives uh, than, than we need to, and we miss out on Jesus far too often. Uh, and I'm trying to learn a new rhythm of life. I'm trying to learn a rhythm that slows down. The first, uh, you know, first 59 years of my life, it was busy, 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 all the time. You know, there's hours in the day. The sun is up. We need to be doing something productive. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do, friend, is sit at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do is get your heart aligned with Jesus. And when you do that, everything else begins to fall into place. And so we need to learn the lesson. Two lessons today. We need to have a faith that knows when to work, when our faith needs to take action. And we also need to have a faith that knows when to sit. Faith that knows when to sit at the feet of Jesus and soak in his presence. Lord, help us to learn these things. Help us to know when to work. Help us to know when to wait. Help us to know when to to press on. Help us to know when to pray. Help us to learn how to walk with you in such a way that we'll live fruitful lives. Sometimes it doesn't come, Lord, through all of our effort. Sometimes it comes through our waiting upon you. Lord, teach us these things. Help us to make application of these things in our lives that we might be more fruitful for you. In Jesus' name, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. See you tomorrow.